Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this next episode of Investment Friday with Brad Haynes, the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. It is currently Thursday, September 21st at about 4.43 p.m. just to give it a time stamp. And uh, this will be released on Friday, September 22nd. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the world uh, and financially, right? So Brad, what are we talking about today? What's up, man? Well, we're gonna talk about a couple of things. We're gonna talk about the Federal Reserve, we're going to talk about a whole war that started and stopped all within the last five days and how why that's impactful on anything. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about the UAW, the United Auto Workers, current strike against the big three. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve and interest rates. Mm. So those are some pretty big, hefty topics for for the half hour podcast, but we're going to try to do it. We're going to get it all in. So yes. And our favorite uh, question asker, Bob from Huntsville was asking about government shutdown as well. What might happen um, with that? And are there any, you know, potential areas of opportunity within that? So um, that'll be on the docket too, but where do you want to start? The market's been a little bit crazy this week. Yeah, so we're going to start with uh, Bob's question because that dovetails in to a couple of those themes that I really wanted to address. And so I think just answering that question right off the bat, is there any potential places to, uh, to invest solely based on the potential government shutdown? Not really. Um, you know, historically, as we were discussing uh, earlier um, before the podcast, you know, from an, from an equity standpoint, it's kind of a non-event. Government shutdowns typically occur. They're pretty short-term in nature. The, the, the employees get back-funded their pay. And, you know, in three to four months, it's all kind of just washed out in the, in the noise. Um, so not specifically for that. Now, however, I want to caveat that because right now we're in, a, in an environment where the U- GDP growth is softening. So the U.S., the GDP growth is coming down. Inflation is coming down. And it's, again, it's it. the Federal Reserve is trying to make that happen. Um, but labor is also softening, albeit from a very, very tight level. It, but it is softening. So if the U.S. government has a shutdown, it depends on how long that shutdown is and how widespread. It, it could be a big deal from an employment standpoint because... If we're already in a mar- in a labor market that is softening from very tight levels, this could kick it up to, you know, the unemployment rate from 3.8% could go to 4.2, 4.3%. And that, again, is a softening level, still very strong from a historic standpoint. But again, it is softening, and that could tip us a little bit towards that recession, that recessionary state, um, as opposed to the soft landing, which is currently priced in in the markets. So um, when you're let's let's up, uh, open up that softening versus tightening just for people who are like, ooh, I don't know what that means. Um, so you explained it somewhat. But when we are in a 
tight labor market. That literally means that it's there's not a lot of people who are unemployed, right? So it's a it's a tight labor market. Um, people are they have jobs, and employers are having to um, really entice people to come to their job opening, right? That's what we're talking about with a tight labor market. Yeah, they're competing with companies are competing with each other for potential employers. So they're raising their wages. They're making their benefits more uh, more attractive. They're offering more flexible work arrangements. Those types of things are, are forcing companies to compete for available employees. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about this in the past where, you know, at, at, the, at the peak, we had about two jobs for every unemployed person in the United States. Now that softened quite a bit. Now we're at 1.6 jobs for every unemployed person. Um, historically, over a 20-year period, the average is a little over a half a job per unemployed person. So still very strong, but again, softening from that that peak of 2.0 jobs per unemployed person. Okay. So, so that is, so we're talking about that with the government shutdown. So that, that could affect the jobs numbers, showing more unemployed people, at least temporarily, right? Cool. Not Not permanently, but they will those furloughed government employees, do they show on the unemployment yes. rolls? Yes, they do. Okay. Yes, they do. So because technically they are losing their jobs. They're, they're furloughed, which is kind of a unique state in the sense that you lost your job. But if they get the budget back, you're going to get rehired immediately. Okay. So it's this weird state where you are unemployed. You're free to go and find another job. But you probably aren't because the federal government will get funded eventually. And that's why I said it depends on how long this goes and how acrimonious um, the, the negotiations happen between both political parties in Congress and also with the presidency. Uh, you know, how acrimonious that gets, how long that gets drawn out could really impact the labor market quite a bit. Um, dovetailing on that, the United Auto Workers last week decided to strike they're striking very very small amount against three different plants one plant from each of the three big automakers in detroit um stellantis which for a lot of people they don't they're like who is this company stellantis that is considered big one of the big three automakers in the u.s stellantis brought bought chrysler so chrysler owned jeep they owned um they own Fiat. They own. They owned a lot of different. The Chrysler, the Dodge, all of those brands. Well, that company got purchased by Stellantis. So Stellantis has fifteen different, very well-known names, uh, brands, auto brands, and so it's a very, very large company. But again, for us in the United States, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge is kind of what we would know them by. Um, so they picked one plant for every single one. Now. Tomorrow is the deadline for them to negotiate the owner, the, the management of the of the big three automakers and the union. So if they come together, fantastic. It, it'd be a, it'll be like a non-event, a blip, because it's so many, so few people, 12 to 15,000, it's estimated, uh, were, were on strike for a week. Okay, not a big deal. But if this goes more widespread because they can't come together on a deal, 
it, it, it can impact quite a bit. I mean, the automakers themselves impact the, the U.S. economy in a lot of different ways. A lot of people from make, you know, sourcing the material to making the cars, to making the different parts that go on the cars, to assembling them and to selling them and to servicing them at the end user. I mean, that's that that's a lot of the U.S. economy that it impacts. So it would be a, a struggle um, for the labor market at that point. So what does that mean? It just means we're at an increased risk. The longer the strike goes on, we're at increased risk for recession. Hmm. Okay. So we are watching government shutdown. We're watching the UAW strike, um, all as it pertains to unemployment figures. Um, wouldn't that also have a positive effect on inflation, though? Yes, it would. Thank you for making that, pulling that through, because that was the next place we were going. Right. So I did it. Today, this week, the Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee, which is the committee that sets interest rate policy, met and they decided not to raise interest rates this time. One of the things they're, they're worried about is the, 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 the dynamic between unemployment and inflation. And I think they're looking out and saying, look, the economy is slowing, which is good for inflation. Inflation is cooling, but still higher than they would like to see it at 3% versus 2 What impact does the government shutdown, does the strike? These have the potential to be big events, but they're started out, they're, they've started out very, very small. And so I, I think they fear that if they continue to raise interest rates, in lockstep every meeting and the and and the strike goes more widespread so all of a sudden your labor market kind of weakens quite a bit and you have the federal government furlough employees again a double whammy onto the labor market what does that do well it'll cool inflation quite a bit but at the cost of driving economic growth into a recessionary state mm. so i think they're a little bit they're going to they're in a wait and see pattern to see how the data continues to come in, how retail sales come in, because right now retail sales is a major part of how we're going to assess what the consumer, which is two thirds of economic growth, how the consumer is reacting to all of this news. You know, are they are they spending the same amount or are they kind of restraining themselves because they have higher interest rates on their credit cards? And they may not have they may not have the job stability or security that they once thought they did. So I think they're in a wait and see pattern for that for that reason. Mm, interesting. So when do retail sales numbers come out on a monthly basis? Uh, monthly basis, first week of the year, uh, retail, both online and in the store, sales data comes out, and it's something that uh, really most of the year you can kind of it is what it is but in the third fourth quarter you really need to start paying attention to it because that is the season of spend right august from back to school in august all the way through you know the holiday season and new year's eve parties that is when a lot of u.s consumers spend a lot of their annual budget on on, on items discretionary items gifts and the and the thing and the like so it's an important indicator as to how confident 
the consumer feels in their fin- in their in their finances. Are they strong enough to spend? Do they have enough savings? Or are they pushing that debt limit a little bit? Those those payments on the credit card have gone up a lot in the last 18 months. So what is that? How is that impacting them? How are they are they going to cut down those the, the amount of spending? Maybe the kids get one gift, not two gifts. Um, you know, in the holiday season, we'll, we'll, it, that remains to be seen. We'll have to see how that turns out. All right. Well, got a lot of stuff to pay attention to over the uh, next few months, it sounds like. Um, yeah. So one other question that follows along with this um, that I think was really interesting um, was, again, from Bob, he was asking, do the Fed chairman... So in this case, Jay Powell, do they actually need to have these press conferences that make the market, you know, go up and down like crazy, right? And more often than not, recently it's been down, right? So it's like they'll have a press conference, they'll say what's whatever's happening, and then the market at 3 p.m. takes a nosedive. Um, and so he he brought up the question, like, do do we need that? Like, does it matter? Um from a from a standpoint of like you have to get on and say this thing and then watch the market tank. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you think. My first thought was there's a level of transparency there that they're trying to convey, like, okay, here's you know, economic policy as we see it, and we're trying to be transparent so that people can understand versus keeping everything behind closed doors all the time. Um, but that does beg the question of, could you just put out a press release and would it have the same effect on, on the markets? But I don't know. It was an interesting thought to have. What's your, what's your take? Uh, yeah, I have often made the same observation. Do we need them to say a word? Um, we do. And, and, and for part, and you address part of that with the, the transparency, um, you know, different Fed chairmans have different philosophies when it comes to this. I think Alan Greenspan was one of the uh, he, he had one he had a he had a philosophy very different than Jerome Powell. He was actually purposely unclear, hmm. and the reason why is because he was if he didn't want everybody he wanted to warn people what was coming, but he didn't want them to try to divine what he meant. So he made it purposely confusing. Um, whereas Joe Powell is, he's in the era of complete transparency. And so he is going to tell you like it is as much as he can. I mean, he's dealing with future and 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 there's a pretty wide range of margin of error for that. But he's telling you as he sees it today, what the, the committee is deciding and what the members believe. Um, but it can impact one way or the other. And, and this week was certainly an example of a negative impact, right? There was no change in policy, but it was the comments that he made during the press the press conference that he was basically saying, hey, when we say we're going to have interest rates higher for longer until inflation is conquered, we do mean it. And so all of a sudden investors have to reassess, well, geez, if that's the case, then what? how do we need to change our portfolios? 
one of the one of the things that has really happened, which was interesting, is tech stocks, which have really been the winner, or I should say, the top seven tech stocks and and consumer discretionary stocks, which are basically tech stocks as well. How did they react? Well, they got they 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 sold off quite significantly since Jerome Powell spoke. Um, I mean, everything sold off, but not nearly as bad as those stocks, which have been the winners. Um, and it's it's interesting to see how people are assessing. You know, all of a sudden value becomes in 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 play, and value did a lot better than growth in, in you know since Jerome Powell's press conference. So it's an interesting dynamic of how investors are starting to reassess what their expectations are for interest rates and how that impacts their portfolios over the next year to two to three years. What years um, were Alan Greenspan, the, was Alan Greenspan, the Fed chairman? Early 2000s. Okay. And how has that shifted? Because then we had, uh, who was after him? Wasn't Ben, ben Bernanke. Bernanke? Oh, okay. It was. Um, he was more of the transparent type as well, wasn't he? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. But it was also, he took over during a time of crisis. Yeah. It, it was right about the time where the subprime markets were kind of falling apart and we were, the U.S. was going into a pretty large balance sheet, re, balance sheet recession, which he, he tried to stave off a depression and he he possibly did um stave off a, a larger wider spread depression with some of the things he did um but but again he he during times of crisis you need to be very clear mm -hmm. uh, you know during times where they're not as crisis and more kind of good times um you can be a little more oblique or uh, opaque in your in your in your commentary. And then after him was Janet Yellen. Correct. Right. And she is, she seems like quite a straight shooter. Janet Yellen is, is very much a straight shooter. I mean, as it, I mean, even as the secretary of the treasury now, she's pretty much a straight shooter, you know? Um, I mean, she just came out and made a comment about uh, Ukraine's rebuilding being funded by um Russian assets that have been confiscated. She's like, yeah, totally makes sense to me. Do it. Okay. Well, there's no, she's very clear in her comments about different decisions. So yeah. So really since Bernanke, we've been on the clarity transparency route. Whereas prior to that time, I think chair, uh, the chairmans were a little bit more opaque in their, in their press re press conferences. That's interesting. It's interesting that it's been that long. I mean, we're talking almost 20 years at this point, right? Yeah. Um, that we've been in this kind of cycle. Um, and I have noted that maybe not on the podcast as much, but definitely in our, you know, weekly meetings when we're talking about investments, that like why is the why is the market responding when in what seems like a counterintuitive way to what the Fed is very clearly saying? There were times throughout this year where the market would be up when the Fed was like, we're probably going to raise interest rates more and the market would be up still. And they're like, it's going to be fine, right? And then at some other press conference, they're they're saying, no, we're still saying 
we're going to raise interest rates. And then, you know, there's this big, relatively big correction downward. You know, when you're at more than one and a half percent down or almost two percent down in one day, that's that's a decent um, downdraft, right? Yeah, a decent sell off. So that's happened several times where I've been like, why? Why? What's happening? I think earlier this year, I think the Fed was being or, or uh, equity assets were being repriced because remember the Federal Reserve was considered to be late to the ball game to fight this inflation, and as they continue to show their resolve that they're going to conquer the inflation monster, you know that that helped equities up because certain equities benefit from inflation and certain equities don't benefit inflation. So, uh, you, you know, the, the stocks that did really, really well are the ones that either benefit from inflation or um, have very, very strong brands that make them somewhat insulated from those types of, of action. So, um, and that's why the, the top seven mega cap tech, tech technology companies, consumer discretionary companies, um, ran up so much this year relative to everything else is because they're considered insulated by investors from these actions. Unfortunately, they are not insulated. They are just perceived by investors to be insulated. And that's mm-hmm. a big difference. Interesting. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation and I feel like we've gone through a lot of stuff. Uh <laughs> so, we have we've we've gone A to Z almost. Right. And kind of a short uh short time frame. So I'm gonna say that is a lot for everyone to digest um for this week. And just know that we're we're paying attention to um again the strike. Um we'll see what happens on Friday, uh the 22nd, if it gets, you know, extended or if it's done, who comes to the table. Um looking at the government shutdown. If that actually happens, that's September 30th, right, is the date um, that we're looking at there. So yeah, lots of lots of interesting moving parts to pay attention to. So if you have any questions at all, send them either, you know, in an email um, or you can message me on any of the social platforms. Um, I will see it and we will respond. And yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for being here, Brad. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.